future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Monday, July 31st, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. And if you want to help out the show right now, head over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us that five-star review on whatever platform you listen on and leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help people find the show. It's a pretty cool little system they got going on there. Algorithm-dominated dystopia that we live in. <laughs> and look, for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams. And check out his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Check out therickSmithShow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you've got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind his podcast, Rock the House. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. I guess you should be saying, follow them on X now. Musk. Oh, yes. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michalico, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist current streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so we can steer the community towards calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check out the podcast at buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcast. And for all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two N's, The Game In is a Quaker Town-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. Look, you gotta check them out. Looking for something hard to get? Can't find a certain game you're looking for? Head it over to their Facebook page or follow them on Twitter at, at TheGameIn, again with two N's, or shoot them a message or drop them an email at TheGameInPA at gmail.com. And a special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff and fo- uh, on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at SongAdayMan, again with two N's, at SongAdayMan on Twitter. And we can't let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. 
We're putting small dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on tonight's show, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, once again to welcome Karen Ferradin back to the show. Karen is the founder of Burke's Gas, Gas Truth and co-founder of the Better Path Coalition. The Better Path, Path Coalition are the organizers for the PA Climate Convergence this coming fall. And we'll be talking about a summer filled with record-breaking heat, flooding, and climate catastrophe. Well, we've seen the ocean temperatures that have surprised scientists, heat that broke records by a significant margin, and flooding that has devastated communities around the world. All of this is shocking, and all of this is precisely what climate scientists have been warning us about for decades. And all of this is what world leaders, including our own government, have failed to act on in any significant way. So today, we're going to talk about the summer that the UN Secretary General has termed the beginning of the era of global boiling. But we'll also focus on upcoming actions this week, later this summer, and in the fall that will demand decisive, immediate climate action. It's time to make big plans to be in Harrisburg this October for PA Climate Convergence. The Convergence will bring activists, advocates, and concerned residents to Harrisburg to tell Governor Shapiro, lawmakers, and regulators that they are having the wrong conversation about climate and need to change their stance. We'll talk about why lawmakers are keeping PA from being part of the solution to the climate crisis and what all of us could do to change that. And we'll find out why Barbie says, thanks, Governor Shapiro, but I think we need a climate guy. <laughs> In addition to founding Burke's Gas Truth and co-founding the Better Path Coalition for the past 11 years, Karen Ferdin has worked with organizations in PA, New York, New Jersey, and Delaware to win the ban on fracking in the Delaware River Basin that was imposed in February, this past February, this past February, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she is currently part of an international coalition working to stop liquefied natural gas exports and a national coalition working with members of Congress to reform the Federal Ag Energy Regulatory Commission, the FERC, the FERC. Right. You can check out all our great work at Burke's Gas Truth. That's gastruth.org. And check out the PA Climate Convergence at paclimateconvergence.org. Karen, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be here with you, Kevin. You're such a great interviewer. And it's always great to be able to talk to somebody who's so up on the issues. So thank you. Well, look, I'm just like, I love that you come on the show um, because, you know, you've been doing this work. For I mean, as long as I've known you, I mean, since I first met you, got years ago, um, back in back in Kutztown, um, and then obviously over the years in Harrisburg for uh, the PA Progressive Summit when they used to have that, all the climate actions that have taken place, the lobbying that's taking place in the in the um, in the capital, um, in national and like regional protests. I mean, I mean, you've been on the ground for a long time doing the work that often you know, is, is the backbone of any social movement. Um, and again, I know that you're not the only person doing this work, but I mean, it's like it, the, you're part of that community that has been pushing for the longest time. And so I appreciate, you know, you taking time out of your schedule, um, to be on the show and to come talk to us a little bit about the summer and, uh, the actions coming up. Well, I appreciate it. You're right. I am hardly the only person doing this work and yet we need everybody with us because that's how big this problem is now. Well, this past summer, I mean, I don't know how many times we can say, well, this is a wake up call, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, okay, the, you know, it's like the wake up call keeps coming in the like, way somehow we hit snooze on it or something, I guess. But it's like, um, there, 
what we've been seeing around the country and around the world this summer has like just, you know, broken all sorts of records is kind of off the map and lead and what a lot of scientists have been even kind of projecting. And I was just even like reading just yesterday, an article about saying, Hey, you know, it's winter Antarctica and we're not sure why the ice isn't reforming. (laughs) Right. I mean, so it's like, you've got this, this record breaking oppressive heat, in like, in, you know, in, in the, the Southwest in this country, right? You've got, I mean, I was watching the, the I mean, I, I, it's horrible because it's, you know, you watch these floodwaters in China that's taken out entire villages, dams that are breaking kind of over here. We saw the flooding in, 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 in Vermont this summer. So, I mean, maybe before we kind of jump into stuff that's coming up and the actions going on and what's happening in Harrisburg, maybe you just give us the read of kind of this summer, right? Just kind of What's this summer meant in the overall scope of things? And is this, you know, a wake up call? Is it appropriate to call it the era of, of climate boiling? Um, walk us through that a little bit, Karen. I think what's been so striking to me uh, as somebody who's been doing this for a while, as you said, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about trying to avoid two degrees Celsius of, of warming in order to avoid all the worst imaginable climate impacts and the things that were irreversible. And then it was around 2015 um, when we, uh, I happened to be at COP21 in Paris when island nations were there and the, you know, the headline that, you know, was very clear to us when we were there was that they were telling the world leaders that, you know, 1.5 is more like it because we're going to probably be underwater at even 1.5 degrees of warming. And again, that's, you know, what now, just a few years ago, eight years ago, when that was being discussed, and that's sort of been the target ever since. And now this summer, I think those climate scientists who have been predicting all of this are really scratching their heads and wondering if 1.5 is really the target, because what we're seeing is so much worse than that they were predicting, you know, with a less than 1.5 degree temperature increase. And so, you know, we're seeing this era now, you know, to speak to uh, Guterres's point about global boiling, you know, we're seeing, you know, cascading uh, disasters. And they're, you know, they're giving a lot of us a taste of what other parts of the world have been well aware of now for a while. But now we're having a taste of it too, especially like a lot of us on the East Coast who even know about our friends in, you know, the Pacific Northwest who have been dealing with wildfires. You know, well now, you know, we're being choked out in our own homes on the Eastern side of you know, the country because of wildfire smoke coming from uncontrollable fires in Canada. You know, it's, and it's not just that, it's, you know, coral bleaching, it's the ocean temperatures, it's, you know, like you said, you, you listed it to yourself. So many things are happening now that it's hard to almost wrap your head around everything that's happening. And, you know, what what will next year be like? It's, it's terrifying. It is absolutely. And Emily says, like, you know, we even had here in Bucks County, like we had six people die from these flash floodings. Right. That, you know, I mean, I mean, really what felt like I mean, these words almost don't lose their meaning. when You say it's an unprecedented kind of like rapid flooding, the kind of amount of water that came down at once. Um, but that's, that's what people reported. They couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I was getting texts from people like I'm out in New Hope and like they're like, oh, my God, I, I, I've never seen the rain like this. And that was the day that we kind of lost five people, you know, and kids that were just kind of washed away. And, you know, and Emily even said, like, how many of us had hard times breathing this spring? 
right? I mean, due to, you know, both, you know, just the, like your, like pollen was crazy, but then like you said, with the wire, the wildfire smoke, that's just has dominated um, so much here. Emily said, yeah, it was 10 inches of rain in four hours. I mean, you know. And before you had it there, we had it in Berks County, you know, and just more recently there were, um, you know, pouring rains, pounding rains in uh, the slate belt. And every time we'll get to the governor, I know in a bit, but you know, he goes up to all these places, goes out into the public, into the communities and says, we have your backs, but until you're taking climate action, no, you really don't. Yeah, it's, 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 um, you know, I, I hate, I know I do this. I do this every time we talk too, as well, but I'm like, you know, I find one of the reasons why I love having you on the show too, as well, is because, you know, uh, I mean, like, I think it's hard for a lot of people, right. When they're kind of so, and when they start seeing this all the time to kind of feel the hope end of the end of stuff, right. To see the kind of the necessity of action, right. Because it can be pretty despairing. It can feel pretty much out of control, especially when for so long, we couldn't even get reporting on it in any kind of sustained way. I mean, if I have to have a, a kind of a, a positive to take away from this summer, it seems to me that I hate again, I hate to say it like this, but finally, maybe that the the mainstream media is at least beginning to devote some resources to actually covering these like disasters as climate related. I mean, The Washington Post put together a climate desk. The you know New York Times followed that up. Um, I mean, do you think I mean, what you've seen in the kind of coverage of these events um, over the summer, um, you know, over this past year, does it give you kind of some does that you see that as a positive development, I guess, in terms of like the attention it's being paying? Or does this seem to me to be like more of the same um, that we've seen before? You know, I have mixed feelings about it because I've definitely seen over the span of years some improvement when we were getting just no attention whatsoever, when we were trying to talk about climate, it wasn't being covered at all. It started improving. When you see though, the number of media outlets that still talk about the heat, but do not contextualize it, it's still really disturbing. More of them are, you're right. You know, it is part of the story increasingly and that's an, an amazingly good thing, but it is disturbing to see how uh, you know, how many outlets didn't cover it that way at all. And another thing that's really getting to me, and it doesn't have to be, it has, doesn't have to do with what's gone on this summer, but um, somebody like Sheldon Whitehouse, you know, mm-hmm. he loves to get his whiteboards and talk about Exxon New, you know, and all. And the fact is that there's some, a group that I actually do some work with called the Climate Investigation Center that has been tracking this for years, and they're not the only ones, you know, there's been a lot of good work done to show that these companies knew exactly what they were doing long ago, and they didn't tell anybody. And so I'm glad that Sheldon Whitehouse is talking about it now. But what we have to be careful about is that we don't let that become the substitute for climate action. It's like, Mm -hmm. great to tell us, but you've got to stop telling us that at some point and do something. So, you know, I get worried when I see some of the messaging that's going on. It's either just missed altogether or sometimes it's presented in such a way that still doesn't address the the need to do something about all of this. And and where's that action taking place? What's going to happen? And Sheldon Whitehouse, I hate to pick on one man, but, you know, he's one of the people who's very supportive of hydrogen hubs and, you know, carbon capture and storage and all those things we're fighting because it's just more fossil fuels. So, you know, it's just a a very confusing time. I think if you're trying to get a good beat on what's going on, 
I think it's difficult if you're kind of just starting to think about this and coming into it. Left a yeah, that's that's a great point. And I think, you know, it's interesting you you say that, too. It's, it's great for to have this all pointed out about these companies that knew and everything. And of course, it, in terms of accountability, in terms of like how we understand who needs to pay for this problem long term about who caused the problem. So we're clear. It's not just like we're all in this together. No, there's actually a decided efforts here. All that's really important. But there is something about kind of like almost like a a a way that the outrage at the companies, right? The outrage at whatever can, can kind of, like you said, steer away that energy away from action toward, you know, again, not that we shouldn't be holding these companies accountable. They damn well should be, right? If it was up to me, we just nationalize them now. We'd basically take, like, capture all of their kind of billions of dollars of profits and use that for a transition of economy. But, you know, that's, you know, who's going to just do that on a dime? That's not going to happen, right? Um, not right now, at least. But that's, I mean, you know, so yes, they need to be held accountable, but really we can talk about Exxon to we're blue in the face, but unless we're getting off fossil fuels, unless we're actually transitioning the economy, it's not going to matter. Right. Right. Exactly. And certainly not if you're right. also backing policies that support Exxon, you know, to continue doing what it's been doing just under the guise of a false solution that they've also invented. You know, it's, it's more of the same. Why are you so vulnerable to it when you seem right. to love to call it out in a different circumstance? Right. Well, and here in, and here in Pennsylvania, it seems that we're especially, we have a unique, I think, history in relationship to this problem, right? I mean, the first oil well was drilled here in Pennsylvania, right? Um, Pennsylvania is a major fossil fuel extracting, extracting state. Um, and that our government, um, you know, our state government, whether Democrat or Republican, right, have had a long relationship with the fossil fuel industry. Right. And sometimes we get some tough talk that we need to combat climate change. Um, but it, if like the same kind of thing, unless we see action in relationship to do, um, um, to this, then, then it's a problem. So I know that one of the things we talked a little bit about this the last time that you were on. Um, but we've got this, you know, new Democratic governor, right? We, you know, elected the governor um, so that we wouldn't go down the road of Christian nationalism, proto-fascism right, of Doug Mastriano. Um, and, you know, people were like hopeful, I think. Um, but his record when it comes to climate, um, you know, sometimes he can talk a good game and then other times he doesn't talk at all about climate. Um, so, now, so in terms of Pennsylvania, you you got a push going on right now, right? To basically really try to get Shapiro to focus on climate action, right? So can you talk about, say, I mean, I don't know if you want to take looking at Shapiro first or you want to talk about the action you got coming up first. Um, I'll leave that one to you. Well, I think it's probably useful to talk about Shapiro because it kind of leads into the action that we have coming yeah. up. And pardon me, I have to cough. Been doing this all day. There must be more wildfire smoke in here. But yeah. um, anyhow, uh, Shapiro actually has not been much of a climate champion. Um, that's nothing unusual. You know, Governor Wolf wasn't. You know, Governor Rendell brought fracking to Pennsylvania. So you know, so it's definitely been a a, a nonpartisan thing. You know, both sides really have just let us down. It's just some of them have done it less vocally and tried to hide behind good messaging about climate. And so, you know, Shapiro pretty much falls into that camp. But one of the things about Shapiro um, more recently is that he's formed a secret climate committee. And um, 
we don't know why that would have to be, you know, a secret committee if we're talking about the most important issue of our time. But he's formed this um, secret committee. So some of us uh, did right to know requests. I received a bunch of documents about this committee. Uh, they won't tell you who's on the committee, um, except that there's somebody from labor and somebody from one of the environmental organizations, NRDC, Natural Resources Defense Council, um, running the committee, leading the committee. But otherwise, you know, they're really not sharing much. And so the story broke. It was Mark Levy at the Associated Press who wrote the story when he found out about it and was able to identify some of the members, but it was also able to find out that really what they were talking about was the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which is something that actually Shapiro didn't support when he was Attorney General. And right. so it's been kind of unclear where he stands on it. Um, he didn't, uh, you know, dismiss it out of hand when he became governor. Maybe that's what this climate committee is supposed to be figuring out what we're going to do about it. Uh, for my part, I'm opposed to Reggie. I, we're out of time for things like Reggie. It's nothing. It's not a climate plan. It's not even a team part of a climate plan. So, um, so I, I don't think, um, you know, it's been useful to have this ongoing drama where, you know, Republicans and the legislature were trying to impeach Wolf over entering into Reggie and all. It's just, it's just crazy what's been going on. And I think it's been convenient, frankly, though, for both sides to have this drama about something over there so that we're all looking over there. It's the thing they're dangling so that we're not actually looking at what's really happening. And so, like I said, it was hard to really know where Shapiro fit into all of that. Um, but he formed the, this uh, secret committee. And as far as I can tell from the right to no request documents I received back, um, that's all they're talking about. It is just Reggie all the time. And so seems to me like it's not maybe the best use of time uh, to have a committee uh, as big as this one appears to be just dedicated to that one small piece of the problem. But that's what we understand to be his climate effort so far. So there's no real plan out there from the Shapiro administration on climate change. Um, there's this thing that might or might not be happening behind closed doors. We're still trying to figure out. But I noticed, and this kind of leads into the action, I just noticed that he uses social media um, to talk about his priorities. And I noticed that he talks about the same three or four issues over and over and over and over again. And I also noticed that one of them was not climate. <laughs> there was just no mention of climate. So one night I actually searched around, I looked at his Twitter feed over the past few years because he actually had the account before he was governor. And now it's the governor's account, but before it was either his campaign account or his uh, uh, the account when he was attorney general. But anyway, the only tweet that I could find, uh, the most recent one anyway, on used the word climate was from October 26, 2022, which means he was not governor yet. He hadn't even been elected governor. And so I looked up global warming. That's another way to talk about climate, right? Mm -hmm. And so I looked up global warming. He has one uh, tweet from 2018 that mentions, his global, mentions global warming. So we have a governor in office during the summer of cascading disasters in our own state, and he's not tweeting about climate change at all. And so I tweeted that, and I tweeted the number of days at that time. It had been 252 days since the general election that he had not talked about climate change. More now. Um, but, uh, you know, I tweeted it again um, in a longer form a couple of days after the initial post. And so that time I quote tweeted his one from October 26, 2022, and then wrote a message you know, with that. And I guess that's the one they saw because a couple of hours later, there was a tweet about climate change. 
it mentioned climate change. And um, it was about abandoned wells, which is a huge issue in the state. And he was basically saying that the DEP, our Department of Environmental Protection, is there to, you know, to be on the job, to deal with these wells and combat climate change. And that was the, the only reference. That's how it was brought up. And within a few hours, or maybe it was the next day, he tweeted for the first time about the Barbie movie. And so um, I guess he was wrapped up in that, you know, Oppenheimer, Barbie, whatever thing that's been going on. Barbieheimer. <laughs> yeah, Barbieheimer. So he was tweeting about that, and he actually made a video. It wasn't just him mentioning it, like he mentioned climate change. He made a video and talked about how he's a Barbie guy and holds up a pink tie. And then a couple days later, he did the same thing as part of a softball Q&A that he did on Twitter. And so he answers the question about is, you know, who, which side is he on? And he says, once again, I'm a Barbie guy. And so by this time I was already keeping score like climate one, Barbie movie one, you know, climate <laughs> one, Barbie movie two, you know? <laughs> and so um, we decided to do an action at the Capitol since he doesn't seem to be interested in talking about climate change. Maybe he would be interested if Barbie talked to him about it. And so this Thursday, we're going to the Capitol um, as a coalition of Barbies. Um, we have 11 Barbies who are going to be there at the Capitol doing a fashion photo shoot at noon at the fountain. And then we're going to go inside and deliver a copy of the IPCC report from the UN to um, Governor Shapiro with the message, thanks, Governor, but we don't need a Barbie guy, we need a climate guy. And so that's going to be the message. And we're going to also take a list because one of the things that I learned about in the course of learning about this uh, secret climate committee is that a, a letter that we wrote as the Better Path Coalition during the transitional period that listed what we believe were the priorities for a Shapiro administration uh, went without any response, of course, because they don't feel accountable to us. But mm -hmm. um, we did another version of it at the 100 days um, mark. And so you know, he still hadn't taken any action on any of the things we said. And we sent in the 100 days letter and that letter was actually circulated to the Secret Climate Committee. And so we're going to have those uh, points reiterated uh, on a, a banner that we're going to deliver to him as well to say, you know, here's some easy things. That, well, they may be not easy, but some things you should be doing, things that are pretty clear that you should be doing to address climate change in Pennsylvania. And we'll see what happens. No, but that's awesome. And I think that I, I mean, I, I, I love the fact, you know, <laughs> I love the and I, you know, just I don't know. I, I just I I like the idea. Like, you know, even Barbie said, no, look, look, we did the movie. We're we're all good with the movie. We did the movie. We're the Barbies. Right. We're like you. <laughs> OK, love the support. However, <laughs> right now this is what we need. I kind of like that whole approach to it. Right. Um, but because it's you know, there's a certain degree of absurdity. Right. That, you know. This, he'll feel all caught up in the, you know, the culture war stuff because it's like hip and it's in the news and it's kind of like all on social media. Okay, great. But what about these longer term things that are, that are literally going to destroy us if we don't address them? And it, it just baffles my mind. Like when I first saw you post stuff about the secret committee, right? Because I think I saw it first from you, actually. It's like, I was just kind of like, okay, if there's climate action, if these are climate talks, like, like, like there's legitimate, like you could understand, and you know this as well as I do, right? There's like real issues at stake anytime you're talking about a, an, uh, a transition, right? Labor should be at the table, right? Because we should have a, dress, a just transition, right? We should have, just like in the Green New Deal, right? We should have, we're going to make this transition. Those communities that are kind of, that have been, 
you know, on the front lines of destruction through fossil fuels should be at the front of the line when it comes um, to those jobs, those infrastructures and those build out things. I mean, 100 percent. Right. And so and have those as union jobs protected, not something that we're going to bring in prison labor to install, like, you know, solar panels. Like, seriously, that makes total sense. And we want to have like environmental organizations at the table, too, as well. We could go down the list. Right. We also going to want to have an indigenous communities out there. We want to have kind of representatives of kind of, you know, um, of, of 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 people of color at the at the, at the communities. Right. Because who are directly impacted, like who are going to be like worst impact um, by what we see. So there's a whole bunch of people that should be at the table. But to do it in secret seems to kind of lose the advantage that you would have as a governor to basically put pressure upon everyone at the table, including him. Right. To actually come up with an action to basically say, no, you, you don't get to make a backroom deal where you're going to kind of say these things in private. If you're going to make this argument for fossil fuels. Right. Or we should keep the fossil fuel infrastructure going. Everybody needs to know about that and know who's the resistance. But instead, he just kind of gave that up and seems to want to have, I don't know, like a nice PR package that he could come out with. I mean. Why would he do that? I don't even understand unless it was just about PR and just to want to have some like lowest common denominator of climate action in quotes. I mean, this is the thing that I just find mind boggling because, you know, Republicans set a pretty low bar when they have things like Project 2025 and they're trying to undo whatever kind of, you know, climate protections we're trying to put in place and environmental laws and, you know, but you know, it would be bad to measure Democrats on a yardstick that has Republicans on it because, again, it's a very low bar that they've set. And so, you know, we have to look at the the party that calls themselves the ones who are good on climate and really question how it is that they are taking the actions that they're taking or that they're not taking. How are they not taking actions that are so obviously needed? Um, and, and I don't, never really understand that. I mean, other than you know, the fact that the fossil fuel industry pours money into our electoral process and that there are powerful you know, unions who, you know, like to be, you know, to remain in business and, and have put a lot of pressure on our elected officials. I get all of that. But as uh, Will Bunch, who actually wrote about this and he uh, wrote about the action we have coming up, he, he pointed out that Jay Inslee has no problem. He's a pro-union guy. He's a pro, you know, business guy. But he has no problem calling out, you know, not just the industry, but talking about the reality of where we are right now. And so, you know, he manages to do it. So I've never understood what it is about Pennsylvania politicians that make it impossible for them to talk about it in an honest way or to take it that serious for themselves. It's really hard to know sometimes. And so, you know, uh, you know, like uh, Josh Shapiro, one of the things he loves to tweet about is I-95, fixing I-95 in 12 days. Well, Okay, so somebody pointed out on a, uh, one of our Zooms today, um, what's going to happen when it melts, you know, so, so, you know, it's only good, you know, until climate change kind of dictates what happens to I-95. But, um, but, you know, if he fixed it in 12 days, one of the things I frequently tweet is, you know, imagine what he could do if he actually wanted to do something about climate change. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, that, that was exactly what I thought about this. I'm like, I thought there was such possibility in that moment. Right. Because you basically sh- showed here you this is what we can do. Right. When the initial would initially look like. That's it for the summer. Forget about it. It's going to be traffic. It's going to be traffic. It's going to be congestion. It's, people, it's going to be a hellish summer when it comes to travel. Instead, boom. 
right? You had labor in there. You had organized labor, right? You had unionized labor out there that were kind of working on that. And they turned that thing around in, in, in like speed, you know, with those little, those little rocks, special rocks that they got from New Jersey. Like, I mean, and it was a great story, right? I mean, just, just in terms of like, here you got, this was like disaster impending, but no, you've got a can-do governor who steps up, works with, you know, works with workers, works with the best that minds out there and they find a solution and execute it. Right. And the fact that that was a fossil fuel truck that exploded and melted that bridge, that was like it had every element to say, now we're going to do this for the rest of the rest of the Commonwealth. And we are going to show you what this new future can be, because we can no longer have like fossil fuel trucks blowing up under bridges. And instead, it just goes away. And, you know, there was just another sinkhole. In Chester County, I guess, or maybe it was Montgomery County, but it was a sinkhole, you know, that is a result of climate change, most likely because of these flooding rains that we get and yep. what happens you know, to the subsurface and the holes open up and it caused a train derailment, you know, and we had the train derailment, of course, that we're still dealing with in, you know, East Palestine that affected Beaver County, Pennsylvania. But, you know, in every way, either they were caused by climate change or the things involved in the initial accident, as was the case with the derailment, or things that are part of the industry, you know, and materials that have ended up polluting the town and making people sick, and God knows you know, what the future holds for those people. And so in every way, we're seeing some sort of fossil fuel-themed bad thing. Yes. All at one time. And we have a governor, like I said, who loves to run out and say, we have your back. Well, that's great, but prove it. <laughs> you know, I mean, do something. And just coming up with some sort of mitigation, you know, efforts to make sure the next flood isn't even worse. That's just not good enough right now. It's just not good enough. And so uh, the fact that he gets to take a pass on it as much as he does, that's got to stop. And that's one of the reasons why I get concerned about, you know, the low bar that Republicans set, because it makes it really easy for Democrats to be terrible and not get, you know, pushed it hard by their own voters about it because, you know, nobody wants to see the bad guy win, you know. And no, so right. And I, difficult. yeah. And I just think, I just think it's just exactly the kind of, you know, exactly what you're saying. But I also think it's like the people like when they have a vision, right. People like to know where we're going and they, people, you know, to have a sense of like, this is what politics can do. Right. I mean, otherwise, you know, this, this kind of mediocre white bread nonsense is just not only is it going to, is it sending us into like a climate nightmare, like in the, very quickly as we've seen this summer, Right. But it's also the kind of thing that keeps people's like away from the polls. Right. Which is precisely what we need in order to get this action. So it's like it, it makes no sense. It's, you know, on the majority report, um, you know, uh, majority report show Sam Cedars frequently comes out and he says, like, you know, this is like political malpractice. I mean, this is people who are just not good at their jobs. You know, I mean, so, yes, they, Josh Shapiro may have won an election and he might kind of like, you know, springboard this into some sort of kind of like national or you know national run at some point you know so be a bigger star politician but meanwhile like it's just disaster left in the wake right um for individual ambition or something i don't know but it just it doesn't make sense yeah but you know go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say that whole i-95 story read to me like road to the white house chapter one you know and so i get it i mean he's been an ambitious guy forever he's always been running for the next office but circumstances dictate that he do, does something different this time. This isn't normal. Nothing's normal anymore. As Dr. Michael Mann says, there is no new normal, whether it's right. politically or 
you know, in terms of our climate, because we just, uh, you know, things are just going to keep getting worse until yep. we do something about it. And we're going to run out of time. And too bad if you, you know, find yourself in a corner where you're having trouble, you know, getting elected because your supporters are pulling the plug. I don't know. It's just something more important than that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's some, you know what, and, and taking a stance and kind of for protecting our future is, is something that will make, I even, even a personal level, I got to believe like a politician who would eventually run on that and find out that you'd have support to run on saving the future would actually feel good about his own self. You know, if you think about it like that, but you know, the, the point that you make here, like the point you made there about, you know, like, look, Shapiro, we can have your back, but the, the kind of, I like the idea, you know, what you're doing here. And I want to kind of talk about the PA climate convergence you're coming up because it's like, it's also that sense like, Oh, we'll have your back, but now we're that we're behind you. We're going to push you in the right direction. Right. Because we're not going to have your back for the sake of having your back so that we get a, like a blue D t-shirt or something like this. And we're going to have your back because you're going to help us. You're going to help our community. You're going to help us move in the direction that we need to do that. Everybody in the world knows that we need to, right now it's no time to step up. Right. And so the one thing that you're, that, that you, this better path coalition, we talked a little bit about this before and what you're doing and the climate convergence uh, coming up, the idea that, look, it's not just about let's, we're going to go out here and wave the IPCC report. Right. But it's its idea about community. It's about building. It's about possibility um, as much as it is about the demand of climate action. So can you talk talk us a little bit about your, you know, again, remind everybody a little bit about the Better Path Coalition and then take us to to the climate convergence that is coming up this fall. Um, and I really, uh, you know, I really want to encourage everybody to get out in Harrisburg um, for this event. Um, I'm going to be there. Right. Um, that Karen and I were just talking about this before the show, looking for ways of doing kind of live stuff at the convergence this year. Um, would love to have like listeners for this podcast kind of come out um, and tell your stories, you know, um, to be out there. But tell us a little about Better Path Coalition and then um, the, the climate convergence coming up and why people should be there. Great. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the shout out for the convergence. It's so important that people attend and, uh, you know, and just uh, be part of all of the action because this year uh, our, our theme for organizing has been bearing witness. And so it's so important to hear everyone's stories. It always is. But this year we're making a real point of, you know, we're inviting our elected officials to come. We're giving them a five-foot engraved invitation to let them know that we want them to come down and hear the stories. If they don't, and we're not optimistic that most of them will, then we're going to be delivering all the stories a little bit later after the convergence. But to back up, Better Path Coalition is a coalition that is a frontline and grassroots-led coalition that started a little over five years ago. Our, our birthday was in April. And um, we started with this idea that we wanted to forge a better path to a clean, renewable energy future in Pennsylvania. But we also wanted to have the dual goal of, and they're very related, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, forging a path to a government that is responsive to its people. Because that is one of the things so striking about our government is that, you know, like I said, we sent a letter to the transition team and to the governor. We didn't get a response. We don't get responses to anything we and this is, you know, we send letters to the head of the DEP that we want to meet, and he doesn't respond. And yet he's the one who's talking about environmental justice right now. And he's not responding to requests to have just a meeting with frontline communities, and that's pretty bad. So, um, you know, so we, you know, we set out with these goals to try to make our government more accountable to us. Um, but our orientation has always been very 
you know, sort of uh, fracking focused, you know, pipelines, petrochemicals, and as it all pertains to climate change. Um, but what we started thinking about last year, um, when we were actually it was the winter of, I guess, uh, 2021. But anyhow, we were thinking about how there's a huge climate movement in Pennsylvania. We just don't act like one because there are so many issues that are climate issues. And so what if we all got together? And mm -hmm. what if we all sent a collective message to Harrisburg that you need to do something about this? And, you know, tried to change the conversation and got them thinking about it, but doing it in such a way that we are the drumbeat, that we're always there, we're always doing something. And so that was it. We decided to have this big festival last year, followed by a march, followed by a day of action at the Capitol where we delivered and installed the largest climate clock in the Americas other than the one in New York City. So actually the second biggest climate clock is sitting in our capital. It wasn't supposed to still be there, but we fought to keep it there and it's still there. So every time your legislators go down to the cafeteria, every time, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a capital restaurant, but every time they go down there, every time Shapiro goes down there, every time lobbyists take their, you know, their uh, legislators that they own out for lunch to the restaurant, they walk past that climate clock and it's a constant reminder that you're failing us on climate change. And so that was sort of the idea. How can we keep that message going? How can we be in Harrisburg all the time? And so we've done it in a variety of ways and with the intention of having another big event like we're having in October. Um, so the idea was to do monthly events that kind of you know, create that drumbeat and keep it going. And so we do things like legislative briefings, you know, briefings with I well, it's for anybody, it's for the press, for the public, but we've invited legislators, we've invited Shapiro and his staff, though none of them have ever attended, but lots of legislators and staffers have been attending to hear the experts talk about a lot of these issues. And so that's just one thing that we've been able to do in a virtual sense, but we've also been there in person, standing in the East Wing where we'll have our hearing on October 2nd, um, where we do what we call a people's filibuster. And we stand there and we read climate texts like the IPCC report or we uh, read from Greta's book, you know, uh, who's mm -hmm. a climate uh, activist in Sweden who pretty much changed the conversation by herself. You know, we read from her book and other things, you know, all sorts of, sometimes people read poetry and, and just sending the message that, you know, we need to be talking about this and we're just, we're here to be almost the Greta's of Harrisburg to almost be conspicuous in how much we're ignored by our government, that we're just this presence and you're just not paying attention. You need to change that. And so um, we do that. We do actions like the Barbie action coming up. We've done a die-in. We've done all sorts of things. And then again, to bookend uh, all those actions are the annual events. So we have the one planned for October this year. Last year it was in June, but we didn't have a legislature in session at the beginning of this year. We weren't sure what was going to yeah. happen. And so we thought we better just push off the convergence until fall. And that's the reason why it's October 1st and 2nd with a special preview evening on September 30th. We're going to have a virtual wildfire side chat with Bill McKibben. <laughs> and so, um, so that's what we're going to be doing in October. But anyway, the point is that uh, once we started approaching uh, doing a climate convergence, it really was our desire to start meeting the groups that we don't know because we don't work on those issues. You know, so we had somebody from a warehouse fight last year. Uh, we had Carol Cunahome from uh, Fair Districts, you know, just a real cross section of all sorts of issues there one way or another climate issues. 
And again, you know, when you start thinking about all of the different groups that are fighting aspects of this already, if we could talk collectively and say we need climate action now, it would be a massive, massive movement. And so that's sort of the goal, you know, help to bring all of this together, help build a movement so that we are just too loud to ignore. And so it's slow going because, you know, when you're not doing the work of some like a warehouse fight or something, you don't necessarily know who to even talk to. So, you know, we're eager to hear from people. If you've got a fight going in your community against the warehouse or a landfill or whatever it is, incinerators, just all of it, let us know. And we would love to partner with you. Food shortages, you know, food security, um, sustainable, sustainability. You know, we want to talk about all of it. And so, uh, you know, so again, we're trying to put together the biggest coalition of groups that we possibly can. And that's the idea. That's pretty awesome. You know, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, as you know, uh, right here in Bucks County, we've been kind of fighting the school board fights, right? Um, with the, you know, QAnon adjacent school boards and, uh, you know, my kids district, they eliminated uh, social studies requirement and hired the, you know, Vermilion education, right wing religious school adjacent guy to come in and rewrite the curriculum. And, um, which is horrifying in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, but the, the other side of that too, is that the community has really been kind of responding and organizing and kind of just building out there. And I always look at this as, you know, one of these issues, you know, uh, we saw in Kutztown, for example, earlier this year where, um, you know, we had a book banning of a climate book, you know, Alan Gratz's book, uh, two degrees was banned. We, you know, I had him on the show. We had, um, you know, was out there to kind of meet him, um, when he, he did a special event at the local firefly bookstore to go out and meet kids. Um, and we need to, I think, you know, to have these discussion at every, at every intersection. I remember talking to him like on the show too, is like, look, you know, this is the kind of thing we should be pushing for in our schools, you know? And I think about we've the movements that are happening right now in our school boards too, as well. I mean, I hope that we're going to get some people that have been part of these movements to come out to that climate convergence too, as well, to get energized, to come back and thinking about what do we want to push our school board to do? I mean, right now it's literally been trying to prevent the onset of Christian nationalism in our schools. Right. Um, but then the next question is say, okay, what do we want though? Right. And I think about like Elizabeth Fiedler's push to kind of get solar in schools. Right. We should be coming back and say, no, we should have kind of solar panels in every flat top school like that, like around here. We should be investing in our community and then it would feed back into the community. We can make that something that the power goes back, especially to help kind of low income folks in the in the community. Right. All summer long when the schools are abandoned. Right. You know, when no one's there, we should be generating should be generating power for that. And guess what? We could build science lessons around this. There's an amazing guy at our middle school, for example, who's got like an aquaculture system in his in his uh, um, classroom, right? Where it goes to fish to like, you know, like, you know, uh, vertical gardens and all this stuff and the kids participated. Imagine if we did this and brought that into our curriculum, you know? Right. And so I mean, think, you know, the, the, there's always, you know, people when you're thinking about climate necessarily, I mean, we're, we're always having to kind of worry about the, about the catastrophe. But when you allow some space for something like this at the climate convergence, where you're meeting with people and asking questions and thinking about possibilities, there's so much we could be doing that's exciting. And yes, we're behind the eight ball right now. There's no doubt about it, right? But it's exciting and things that we can do that would, I think, bring the hope that we need and build the movement in the ways that you said. So, I mean, I, I'm so much looking forward to this. Thank you so much. You know, 
years ago, a friend of mine was very into buy local. And she said it wasn't a campaign. There was no celebrity. There was no logo. It was just everybody talking to each other about buy local. And before long, it was a thing and everybody was talking about it. You know, we have to have those conversations and keep those conversations going within our community. So it's not just changing the conversation in Harrisburg, but it's, you know, building our own conversations and adding to it and embracing more people to be part of those conversations. And, you know, you mentioned Alan Gratz. Actually, as it happens, the climate convergence um, falls on the first two days of National Banned Books Week. And we had already invited Alan Gratz to be our featured speaker on Sunday evening. In fact, he's going to be interviewed by Jocelyn Diffenbach, who is the young woman who started yep. the Teen Band Book Club here in Kutztown. So they, she did an interview with him, um, you know, when he was at Firefly, like you mentioned, at the bookstore here. Um, so they're going to do basically the same kind of interview again. And, um, and so uh, we're going to be doing a book signing. We're trying to get our copies of Two Degrees that we can give away. But it's, you know, uh, going to be part of a banned books table that we have all during the day at the festival as well. So we'll have his books there to be signed, some to be given, given away like two degrees. But the the other books on the banned books table will ban books that have nothing to do with climate change per se, but just demonstrate a real scary development in our society. Because the books that we'll have on the table are titles that are banned now, you know, and in schools and libraries. I mean, it's just crazy. There's an organization called PEN America and um, actually, they're going to be promoting uh, the convergence for us, too. But um, they're the ones who maintain the list of the banned books. And it goes on and on and on. Yep. And one school district in York County, Pennsylvania, is responsible for like 90% of the banned books in the yep. state. You know, it's just frightening to see, um, you know, what they're trying to do in our schools. And, and you know, and so that's one of the climate stories we're trying to tell that is a little unorthodox, it's not your typical climate story of one of the disasters that we were talking about earlier. But we have others that we want to tell too, uh, like the uh, people who get in boats and look for nurdles in the rivers uh, around Pittsburgh where they have the shell cracker plant and the mm -hmm. nurdles are the plastic pellets that they created those plants and they end up in our rivers. So we have actual people like normal citizens who just had lives before all of this now mm -hmm taking time out of their lives to go be part of what's called a nurdle patrol to go, you know, get the stuff out of the rivers. Oh. We have people who buy on their own dime incredibly expensive infrared cameras that can be used to show emissions coming off of natural gas operations. We have people who are, you know, doing monitoring of water and air quality and arranging to get people filters and water buffaloes and replacement water. These are normal, everyday people who had nothing to do. They weren't lifelong activists. These are just people who found themselves in this predicament because of the fact that our government isn't doing any of it. So it's not just inaction on the part of our government. It's not that they're not taking action on climate. They are actively working to make things worse and they're not helping anybody. Yeah, you know, I hear in, uh in whether we're talking the climate or we're talking about what's happening in the schools and things like this, you know, constantly always hear somebody eventually mentions like throughout the days, like, you know what, they are few and we are many, right? You know, it's that, you know, they have the money, but we have the people. And the climate convergence is the place where we say, like, yes, we are the many. And like you said, this is the way about building those connections, like, right? so we get to know each other. And it's, it's look, 
it's a long process. Um, and I know, like I said, we know we're behind the eight ball, but this is the kind of thing that we need um, if we're going to build connections and, you know, come out of this with the, the you know, the future that is not only livable, right, but it's just, right? Um, not only is something where the air is breathable, right, um, but everyone has access to that clean air, <laughs> right? Um, where we open our arms to refugees that are the victims of our kind of our polluting, right? We don't build walls to keep them out um, and let them die, right? Um, and that's all the more reason the kind of convergence that you're doing, that you're bringing together as you know, being part of this is, is so critical. So, you know, again, I thank you for the work. I, I'm so much looking forward to this fall. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, we talked at the beginning about things being terrifying and they are, but if we stopped it, we would stop warming so quickly. I mean, it's, it's not automatic. There's a lot of things that are already kind of broken to the point that we can't fix them even now, but we can create a much better future. So this isn't really about um, things being horrible. They're about uh, our failure to imagine collectively as a country, largely because of our government and the fossil fuel industry driving it, um, you know, what's possible. And, and lots of great things are possible. And so the antidote to despair is action. And so what we, the best thing we can do is act now, get this country on board with doing the things it needs to do, getting the state on board with things that it absolutely needs to do as the second biggest natural gas producer in the country, and now start building that new future. Absolutely. I couldn't say better myself. Well, listen, Karen, thank you so much for taking um, time out of your evening. I'm so psyched. I can't wait to see this action on Thursday um, where uh, the Barbies will converge, right, for the uh, critical fashion show and then the action um, to push Governor Shapiro um, to begin taking climate action. And I want everybody to make, you know, make sure you check out the PA Climate Convergence. Um, make sure that you check out the Better Path Coalition. Um, you can find information about all that stuff. First of all, you should follow, be following Burke's Gas Truth um, on Twitter, or I guess it's now X. It's like uh, just at Burke's Gas Truth, correct? Is that right? You can follow Burke's Gas Truth, Better Path Coalition, Pennsylvania Climate Convergence. And I should say the website is Pennsylvania Climate Convergence spelled out. They didn't. Yep. It's a long story. Anyway, it's the <laughs> long URL. <laughs> 100%. Well, we'll have links to them in tonight's show notes. Check out Burke's Gas Truth, PA, Climate Convergence, and the Better Path Coalition. Um, Karen, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for all your work. And uh, whew, we got a lot of work to do ahead of us, but hopefully it's going to be with joy and hope. So that's right. Thank you, thank you so much, as always. Uh, you got it, Karen. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. want to remind you, you can also be here on Friday for our Friday Politics Roundup. And uh, we'll let you know next couple days about the uh, uh, what we have coming up next week's Out to Coop Live. Got a couple of things cooking, as it were. Um, and one of the things that I'd like to put out to the community as part of what we, Karen and I talked about tonight, I think it would be kind of a cool idea Um uh, set up. I'm going to set this up over the next week where we could start having a place where if you want to drop some of your stories, like 30 second, one minute stories and audio stories, um, we could send in, we could play, begin some parts of it. We can play here um, as part of the podcast as in terms of our breaks. And then we could bring them with us to that PA climate convergence, right? Um, to kind of build a number of stories. And I don't care if you're in high school, if you're in, in middle school, if you're in elementary school, if you're old, if you're young, no matter what you do, you got a story about climate 
about your concerns and things like this. Um, well, let's start putting them together right in our own backyard so we can bring them out in Harrisburg and not come empty handed. Huh? What do you think about that? <laughs> All right. <Thank> you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, uh, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, remember, P- uh, check us, uh, us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash RC Press, where you can become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, we'll see you all Friday and again next week. Um, and just check out everything Karen's doing. Just absolutely fantastic. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Keep up the fight. See ya. I'll fly.